Hello, and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Fred Schenkelberg, Reliability Engineering and Management Consultant at FMS Reliability. He's a lecturer at the University of Maryland, and he's been an active contributor to both the IEEE and the ASQ Reliability Divisions. Fred reestablished Hewlett Packard's corporate reliability program in the late 1990s, and he's also worked as a reliability consultant at Microsoft and a manufacturing engineer at Raycom. Fred, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Tim. I, I appreciated you giving me the invite for the interview. Fred, you've become well-known because of your outspoken opposition to the use of mean time between failure as a reliability metric, despite the widespread use of this measure in the industry. How did you come to that conclusion? Was there anything specific in your experience that caused you to doubt MTBF? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, two things uh, really sparked it. One of it was just um, I was asked to do a parts count prediction, and I was relatively new at Hewlett-Packard and in and, and starting to develop uh, the reliability uh, specialty, basically, in, in, our, in the corporate group. And one of the divisions called and said if I would do a parts count prediction for them uh, based on a mill handbook or on a Telcordia uh, database. And so I went and asked uh, Dick Moss, who was still still there at the time, about it. And he showed me the software and some of the basic concepts of it. And after about 20 minutes, I went back to him and says, well, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, the failure rates in these databases are old. They don't apply to that use environment. They're, they're not, in some cases, not even the right technology. They're just kind of close. And how can this possibly be useful? And mm -hmm. he said, you know, it, it's not a good prediction for what's actually going to happen. It sometimes drives the right behavior of using fewer parts or making them cooler. But the, the MTBF value you get out at the end is pretty random, he said. So it's actually just don't pay much attention to that number. It's the exercise of looking at how could you make it better uh, in some realm of it. So I'm like, well, what good is this? And why do I care about this? <laughs> And the second part was a, I was asked, I was uh, presenting at a conference, and there was a, it's a, a gathering of a bunch of reliability professionals uh, sponsored um, by Reliasoft, and I think it was the uh, uh, Reliability Analysis Center at the time was putting this conference together. And there was uh, maybe 150 people in the room, and I had about an hour uh, time slot, and I forget what I was going to talk about, but just before I went on stage, the uh, I got a question from one of my, our, my colleagues that said, you know, have you ever had to explain what MTBF was to somebody that didn't really understand what it meant? Mm -hmm. and, uh, oh, yeah, all the time. And so I went on stage and, and, you know, instead of telling a joke or any other classic way of opening a presentation, I just said, so how many of you have had this experience? I was just asked this question, and, 
everybody in the room wow. raised their hand. Wow. Okay, it's not just me. <laughs> and it says, I put, I kind of ditched, well, I actually ditched the presentation and went over to a whiteboard and said, all right, so what kind of problems have you had? And so we had people thought it was a failure-free period. People thought it was a 50% failure rate. Some people thought it was associated with the normal distribution. Some people thought right. they had no idea what it was, but they knew it was something to do with reliability and bigger was better. <laughs> you know? uh, and, and it went on and on and on. And we easily went through the hour and continued discussions all the way through lunch, uh, you know, smaller groups of us. And, and at the end of it, somebody asked me, so what are you going to do about this? You know, it's, ah, yeah. you know that, that was the specific event that sparked it. And I thought, well, I'm going to make it my mission to eradicate MTBF. That's, you know, and it evolved from there. And it was, it was a lot of fun. To, not knowing at that time, it was really just a tongue-in-cheek joke at the moment. Uh, but it's evolved into being a pretty interesting project. So, Fred, how exactly does the use of MTBF hurt reliability engineering and the business in general? Well, one of the things is that it's it's very easy to calculate. And for some reason, my uh, theta symbol didn't show up in here. It's MTBF is often used the the or a, a lambda sign here, but MTBF is often is just the inverse of the failure rate. If I flip this over, it's failures per hour. And it's a very simple calculation. But we, if you're doing something simple like tracking failures in the field, it can lead to uh, bad decisions. And so it actually is uh, an average, right? It's just the total number of failures or total number of hours of operation, for example, or cycles or whatever units make sense for you, but let's say hours of operation divided by the total number of failures. But it strips out mm -hmm. when the failures occur. So in this uh, Weibull plot shows the, the red dash line is the uh, assuming that it's just that average, just that single point of information. And that's what it would predict. So at, say, 100 hours, 10 uh, squared, uh, it was some cutting tool distance is on that, say, 100 uh, units of cutting, the MTBF value would in, imply that we had a very small fraction failing, 0.005 um, uh, or about 0.5 percent, half percent, when actuality the, the real data was much higher. It was closer to a, to a 1 percent failure rate. So it's this gap between where the real data is and the red line here, which is what would happen if you only use the average. And so in this case, you would be optimistically predicting your failure rates. You'd be better expecting it to be better than it actually was. And I wouldn't have enough spares. I wouldn't be able to go as much of a distance and cutting for this particular example, uh, things like that. So in, in this particular example, when they failed unexpectedly, it may cost them a million dollars a day. It was an oil rig, and they were cutting rock and in drilling. And so if it's an offshore sure. oil platform, 
it may take them a, a day to pull the string out and replace the tools. It may cost them another day to fly out spare parts, all kinds of issues. And so the opposite also happens is when the failure rate is actually a wear out mechanism. So uh, here's a Weibull plot and the slope of the actual data was greater than one, showing that it would tend to be a low failure rate initially, and then it would increase and basically wear out later. And again, it's the difference between what the MTBF uh, calculations would estimate versus what you actually get. So in this case, you would have spares you didn't need. And spares in the field tend to corrode and rust or degrade or, you know, they, they see risk just in storage. And uh, you might set up more service uh, uh, abilities. You might have more call center people online or whatever it is. But you're greatly overestimating the demand you're going to get because the failures are going to be much lower. So... MTBF is a crude uh, estimate of your fa failures over time, and it ignores if you have early life failures that are a decreasing failure rate or if you have wear out failures that have an increasing failure rate. So to answer the question is that it hurts businesses because it, the, the data analysis isn't precise enough to give you good information of which then you can make good decisions. So that's where the biggest problem comes in. Fred, I think you addressed this a little bit already, but why do you think MTBF has become so persistent despite all these problems? Well, the, I mean, the first one was just that calculation. It's total hours divided by total failures. It gets, it doesn't mm -hmm. get easier than that. Most of us have that information available. So it's, it is very, very easy. Uh, the second part uh, deals with that it was one of the few ways to measure reliability that we could actually do. The, uh, the early use of um, uh, reliability estimates and, and of predictions and of tracking field failures was really done in the 50s and 60s. And, uh, some of the technology developed through the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and a lot of it during Second World War, got sophisticated enough, and the advent of uh, computers in, in larger degree uh, later than the, uh, the early internet uh, phenomena. Um, uh, automobiles got more complicated, uh, factory equipment got more complicated, and these complex systems needed a way to be tracked. And so... I think it was actually one of the early military projects. I think it was a, a Navy a submarine project that they wanted to estimate the the failure rate of the submarines over, say, a six-month mission. How many spare parts would they need, for example? Because they would have to store that and take them with them. Uh, but in order to do the calculations, uh, they relied on mechanical adders because they didn't have the computing power. Most engineers were using sure. slides and, and mechanical or electrical adders. So the, there's a feature, I'll go back to the, uh, the, those formulas. And if you remember a little bit about, uh, well, it won't help me. So I'm gonna go back where I was. Um, 
the formula for the reliability, the percentage that survive, is e to the negative time divided by the MTBF value. But the inverse of that is failure rate, right? So it's time times lambda, or the failure rate. And right. it's a feature of the mathematics of, of the exponential distribution that I can add those failure rates then. So I could take the failure rate of a pump and a compressor and a motor and a, a circuit board and a control circuit and a power supply individually and then take their failure rates and just add them, which is a whole lot faster and more efficient than using a slide rule to work out the exponential or the exponents that would be involved with the log normals or, or Weibull distributions. So in the 60s and 70s, it was a necessity because we just didn't have the computing power on engineer's desk to use this trick of the exponential distribution. So it got built into um, standards, a variety of different military standards at the start, and then industry standards adopted those same processes. Independent from the ability of people to use computing power, I mean, my, my smartphone has more capability than these two devices on the screen combined, <laughs> right? But we still sure. use, you know, we, we're still using techniques that are, uh, were created due to the limitations of our computing power. And so it became widespread, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, ease of use. Uh, it, it's something we've always done. Uh, uh, but it, and it was good enough in many circumstances to get you better than nothing uh, information. It's just that that's not always that all, not all that useful anymore. Yes, we need better information. Well, Fred, as, as you point out, we've got much uh, better tools available for computing these days. What other objections do you hear from folks when you try to convince them that MTBF shouldn't be used? Well, nobody's complained that the, they would obsolete their mechanical adder or, or slide roll. Uh, <laughs> that's one I don't get. Uh, Besides that very first meeting, it's over time I've heard numerous different objections. Um, the one that's most frustrating is, well, that's the way we always do it. You know, is, yeah. well, that's the way my boss taught me, and that's the way his boss taught him, and, and if we change it, management won't know what to do with it. And similar to that is, well, we've been using this metric for so long that if we change it, we have nothing to compare. We can't go back. It's hard to go back and recalculate our history. And I'm like, okay. Um, another is, well, all of our competitors do this, use this number. You know, so our customers then can compare us, which is ludicrous because everybody counts what goes into the formula differently. So everybody gets a different number. Uh, <laughs> another similar is, it's what my customer is asking for. In corollaries, the customer is always right kind of thing. Um, I actually got called to, it was a, a, a military project for, it was some kind of detection hardware antennas. I, it was on a, 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 a Air Force aircraft that was basically a big flying sensor looking for radar signals and all kinds of other signals. And this box that was on it, they put three of them on the airplane 
and they each had different frequency ranges that they were tuned to. And about once a week, they had to abort a mission and scramble another aircraft into the air. And that's expensive, it, it, uh, not only for maintenance costs, for crew costs, for crew, for mission readiness, all kinds of problems. So the Air Force was complaining to the prime contractor that was putting together the system, and then back down to my client who actually designed and built the box. And so they asked me to take a look at their data and see if they were meeting the requirements or not. And they were. They were exceeding the reliability requirements by about 20%. And then they looked at me and says, oh, well, that's kind of what we thought. But could you go explain that to the Air Force? I'm like, okay. <laughs> I shouldn't have to do that, right? And so I... They fly me out to the East Coast and sit in some room where your cell phone doesn't work because it's a secure briefing room kind of thing. And these all these Air Force folks, I think they were procurement and they were folks involved with the process of, of managing this program. And there was the prime contractor, their engineers and managers were in there. And a couple of guys that were with me from the client site, and I showed them the field data, I showed them the calculations, and I said, what's your problem? You're, they're exceeding your specification. And they said, well, it fails more often than anything else. And we thought this 5,000 hours meant that it would not fail for 5,000 hours, which was, <laughs> like, no, it's that's the average time to fail. And, and he says, well, we thought it would fail, and then it would be an average of 5,000 hours before the next one would fail. Well, no. <laughs> And it went right down the list of all of these objections. And it's like, it's, this is, this is, you know, it's everywhere. And in over time, all of these objections, the original idea was, well, let's, let's create a website and just share these ideas. And, and what's the counter argument for all of these different objections? So that's what we did. It created a site that started listing this stuff. And um, it's been a lot of fun. It's And again, it's been just a complete, you know, response to my peers' frustrations of dealing with this metric. Hmm. Well, Fred, you've convinced me, but what do you recommend folks use instead of MTBF? That's, you know, that's becoming, and I'm very happy that it's becoming a much more prevalent question. Um, my, myself and, and a handful of other authors have been writing for this site and posting almost every week for two or three years now. I think it's a little bit longer. And it's really been just bashing MTBF. We've created campaign buttons and handed those out for years. Um, uh, we've even got coffee mugs if you want those under the shop uh, tab under here. The question I get back now more often than most anything else is, well, what do I do instead? Is basically your question. Um, is just use reliability. You know, it's in page one of most of our reliability textbooks is reliability is the probability of success over some duration for a particular function in some environment. And there's, there's always four elements. And MTBF is just the probability of success. It's a failure rate, essentially. It's a 
chance per hour of failure, if you think of it that way. But if you don't put a duration with that, it's a pretty meaningless measure. Over what time period is this useful? So as a minimum, add a duration to MTBF. Now that usually confuses most people real quick and they, well, what do I need a duration for? You just gave me MTBF, which is in the units of time. So even though it's in units of time, it's the inverse of a failure rate. So let's start the discussion about what it really is right from the way we talk about it. But instead just say, hey, 98% of these systems are gonna fail in 5,000 hours or Better yet, if you have a good product, it'd be 2% are going to fail and 98% are going to survive uh, out to, say, five years. And what's the function and so on. So just use percentages. It doesn't have to be stated in a failure rate terms. And it's certainly not in the inverse of failure rates, which very few people go around talking about in a day-to-day conversation is... I don't know that many metrics or measures that are the inverse of some value that you measure. It's just, mm-hmm. I, I suspect that MTBF came about because of some marketing guy says, well, if we talk <laughs> about failure rates, you know, lower is better and that's not sexy. We got to get this into NBAs can understand it. So we'll invert that. And so the bigger is better. So that if we're showing a chart of increasing reliability, the MTBF goes up and to the right. It's where I suspect it came from. Uh, but it's it's not easy to interpret. It's not easy to use. Whereas using reliability directly, the probability of success over duration, say 95% survive one year. There's, there's no confusion there. So that, that's what I recommend. I Fred, um... Are there any other beliefs or practices that are also preventing us from understanding and improving reliability? It's in focusing on even just this one issue, it's become clear to me and a handful of the other authors that participate in, in writing for the site that there's a bigger issue, a number of bigger issues. And I alluded to one of them earlier is one of them is the, um, but that's the way we've always done it. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, I, I did a presentation about environmental testing, which is a subset of the quality and reliability we kind of activities we use to, to look at a product. Is it, do, will it work in a cold environment, for example? And so many people I've talked to and so many organizations I've worked with have a fixed set of tests that they always run. And it's independent of whether their technology's changed or whether their customers changed or whatever. It gives them a sense of warm and fuzzy feeling that they've done and passed the same tests that they've done before. And it's also easier to set up and organize, to set up the assets for, the plan for. I get that, yet it's not terribly useful. So connecting the testing that we do, the expense and investment we put into evaluating our products should be tied to uh, a failure mechanism, a risk, a business decision. It shouldn't just be a check off the list kind of thing. So that's one area. Another, I agree. Another 
bigger area, and I think is in part why MTBF is still such a problem, is um, I don't know if you've had this experience, Tim, as you, you walk in front of a group, and I know you're teaching at the graduate level, and you would expect they have a grasp of basic mathematics and basic statistics. <laughs> But I'm sure you've had this experience where you, you say, oh, we need to calculate the median of this number and put a confidence interval on it and blah, blah, blah. And three-fourths of the class, their eyes glaze right over. Yeah, it's like, come on. <laughs> How many of you have had undergraduate <laughs> statistics? <laughs> Everybody raise their hand because it's required for most engineering disciplines, right? And then how many of have you done a hypothesis test ever for work? And none of them, you know, maybe one person. Wow. And wow. I, I think one of the bigger issues is this reluctance to actually analyze the data, to do the mathematics, to calculate probabilities, to to use the tools that we have available. We have the computing power, which makes it trivial to actually do. Uh, but I think MTBF is so easy to calculate that people are reluctant to learn just the next step of mathematics so they could be more yeah. accurate. In, not because it's different or new or because it's the way we've always done it. It's their own trepidation of doing the math and then explaining it to somebody else. Um, it's, the corollary is that is if you create a chart for senior management, it's got to have red, yellow, or green on it to indicate whether it's <laughs> or whatever, um, rather than show them a, a chart that says, hey, look, we're making a mistake here. This is the evidence. Here's the consequence. Uh, here's the math behind it. So I think those are two areas that are out. And then it expands into reliability is in the tools and techniques we use are not something that's regularly taught in school. In for engineering teams and management teams, and it touches so many aspects of, of products and their in their performance or a factory and its throughput. Um, it's it's a combination of understanding what tools apply to a particular circumstance, which ones actually add value and which ones don't, so you should skip them uh, well enough that you can then uh, avoid the just do the whole list and check it off or don't do failure analysis, just fix it and keep moving. It's, yeah, it's not an easy engineering field because it's such a broad swath of disciplines we touch into, but it's, it's exciting in that we can, with a little bit of knowledge, just a little bit of effort, we can actually make a huge difference. And so those are the things I see that are in general inhibiting just reliability in general and um, mtbf is just a, a seed of one of those things but uh, that looks like it's going to be a lifetime mission to, to eradicate it <laughs> well fred th thanks so much for sharing your insights with us and best of luck in your efforts to get rid of mtbf no thanks <laughs> use all the help i can get <laughs> That, that was Fred Schenkelberg from FMS Reliability. For more, please go to fmsreliability.com. And when you're there, check the link for Ascendo Reliability.
this is tim rogers thanks very much for joining us.